This is the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Greetings, friends, and welcome again to the Biblical Unitarian Podcast, the podcast that aims to start conversations about the oneness and unity of God and about the humanity of Jesus. My name is Dustin Smith, and I will be your host. Today we got a saucy episode for you, episode 260, entitled, Did Song of Solomon Influence New Testament Christology? Yes, we are going into the book that your pastor is afraid to teach out of, the Song of Songs, or often called the Song of Solomon. We are in the midst of our series in which we're working through the various passages of the Old Testament that... Jews and Christians came to understand as impacting the Messianic prophecies, the role of the Messiah, the person of the Messiah, and of course, the Messiah's relationship to the God of Israel. And so this week, we are going to look at Song of Solomon, the book that seems too erotic that most people have not even considered whether it could have possibly impacted New Testament Christology. But we're going to go there anyway. So in this episode, we'll be looking at the possible ways that Song of Solomon may have influenced the historical Jesus and even the writers of the New Testament in their portrayal of the Jewish Messiah. So here's some of the questions I would like to explore in this week's episode. First, how does the Song of Solomon describe the groom and the woman who seeks after this man. Second, are there any parallels between the groom portrayed in Song of Solomon and the portrayal of Jesus as the bridegroom within the four New Testament Gospels? And lastly, does the Gospel of John draw upon the Song of Solomon to depict interactions with Jesus and at least two women? Let's find out on this week's episode of the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Our first point today is a close look at the Song of Solomon. So we'll read two passages, one out of the first chapter and another out of the third chapter. So we'll begin in chapter 1, starting in verse 1. The Song of Songs, which is Solomon's. May he kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. For your love is better than wine. Your oils have a pleasing fragrance. Your name is like purified oil. Therefore, the maidens love you. Draw me after you and let us run together. The king has brought me into his chambers. We will rejoice in you and be glad. We will extol your love more than wine. Rightly do they love you. I am black but lovely. O daughters of Jerusalem, like the tents of Kedar, like the curtains of Solomon. Do not stare at me, because I am swarthy, for the sun has burned me. My mother's sons were angry with me. They made me caretaker of the vineyards, but I have not taken care of my own vineyard. Tell me, O you whom my soul loves, where do you pastor your flock? Where do you make it lie down at noon? For why should I be like one who veils herself beside the flocks of your companions? If you yourself do not know, 
most beautiful among women. Go forth on the trail of the flock and pasture your young goats by the tents of the shepherds. To me, my darling, you are like my mare among the chariots of Pharaoh. Your cheeks are lovely with ornaments, your neck with strings of beads. We will make for you ornaments of gold with beads of silver. While the king was at his table, my perfume gave forth its fragrance. So that's Song of Solomon, chapter 1, verses 1 through 12. And you can clearly indicate that there is this back and forth between the groom and between the potential bride. The poetry doesn't exactly tell you who is speaking, but through the context you can see that there's a back and forth between both of these persons. And of course, love is in the air. That much is clear. But what we can see is that the groom here is described as a king. He is a royal figure. He's not just a bridegroom. He is a royal bridegroom. He is a kingly bridegroom, which is exactly what you would expect from a figure like Solomon. Let's move ahead to chapter 3. In Song of Solomon chapter 3, starting in verse 1, it says, On my bed, night after night, I sought him whom my soul loves. I sought him, but did not find him. I must arise now and go about the city, in the streets, and in the squares. I must seek him whom my soul loves. I sought him, but did not find him. The watchmen who make the rounds in the city found me, and I said, Have you seen him whom my soul loves? Scarcely had I left them when I found him whom my soul loves. I held on to him and would not let him go until I had brought him into my mother's house and into the room of her who conceived me. That's Song of Solomon chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. Now this involves a woman who is seeking after her beloved. She goes out at night. She's looking for him. She's unable to find him. She talks to the sentinels, the watchmen, and she explains her plight. They don't give any sort of response. And then after she leaves the watchman, she abruptly finds the man whom she has been seeking. And in doing so, she holds on to him tightly. She won't let him go until she brings him into her mother's house. And we won't go any further than that. Now we have these interesting passages, which, if I had to guess, many of you have not meditated on much. They're not common reading in your devotional lives. They're probably not verses that you committed to memory in Sunday school. Maybe this is the first time that you are hearing of these passages in the Song of Solomon. But I do think that there are some convincing reasons to suggest that these passages have influenced the historical Jesus and his self-understanding, and they have impacted the writers of the New Testament in their portrayal of Jesus as the Jewish Messiah. Let's move to our second point. Point number two, the influence of the Songs of Solomon 
on New Testament Christology. Now I've got three big points of connection here that I think are very persuasive. And so you can listen to the evidence and make up your mind to see if you think that the New Testament has been impacted by these passages from the Song of Solomon. The first point of connection is that Jesus is portrayed as the bridegroom and he even considers himself as the bridegroom on several occasions. So we can see this in a passage that is shared among the three synoptic authors. So Mark chapter 2 verses 19 through 20 indicates that the bridegroom is with his disciples and because he is present the disciples cannot fast but rather they should be celebrating. And of course the context of a groom celebrating with his friends indicates that they are in the context of a wedding, which in the Gospels is a further argument that the kingdom has been inaugurated because the kingdom of God, as it's portrayed in the Old Testament prophets, is described as a restoration likened unto a wedding celebration. So Mark, Matthew, and Luke all have Jesus speak of himself as the groom, the bridegroom who is present. Well, we've already seen that Song of Solomon chapter 1 indicates that the male figure is the groom. And this is quite important because many people see Jesus describing himself as the bridegroom and they also look at Yahweh in the Old Testament, the creator of the covenant, and they think that they can identify the two suggesting that if Jesus is the groom in the New Testament, he must be considering himself to be Yahweh. But if Jesus is influenced by the portrayal of the groom, and not just a, any sort of groom, he is a royal groom, he is a kingly groom, then Jesus is the messianic groom from the Song of Solomon, not the groom that typifies Yahweh, the creator of the covenant within the Old Testament. Now, there are other places where the New Testament authors portray Jesus as the groom. Matthew 25, 1-10 has a parable spoken by Jesus in which the kingdom of God is compared to ten virgins who go out and meet the arriving bridegroom. And then in the Gospel of John, in several places between chapters 2-4, through four, but specifically here in John 3, 29, John the Baptist explicitly calls Jesus the bridegroom. And by John indicating that Jesus is the bridegroom, John the Baptist is saying that he is a friend of the bridegroom, and that is why his importance is less significant than the importance of Jesus, who is the messianic bridegroom in the Gospel of John. That will be very important as we continue our study. So our first point of connection between Song of Solomon and the four New Testament Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, is that Jesus is unambiguously portrayed as the royal bridegroom, just as we see in Song of Solomon, chapter 1. Our second point of connection is that Jesus is the king whose feet are wiped with the perfume of a woman. Now, this episode happens specifically in John chapter 12, but with fewer details 
in the synoptic authors, but I want to focus on John chapter 12 because I think this passage has the most explicit connections with Song of Solomon chapter 1. So let's read this passage from John chapter 12, starting in verse 1. Jesus, therefore, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they made him a supper there, and Martha was serving. But Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table with him. Mary then took a pound of very costly perfume of pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. That's John chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. And arguably, this has deliberate points of connection and has been influenced by Song of Solomon chapter 1, verse 12, which, I'll remind you, says that while the king was at his table, my perfume gave forth its fragrance. Now, the specific connections between John chapter 12 and Song chapter 1, verse 12 are pretty remarkable. Here are some of the connections that I have been able to find. So first, Mary of Bethany anoints Jesus with a pound of costly perfume made with pure nard. And the Greek term for nard here is narthos. And it only appears in the Septuagint twice. Both times, guess where? In the Song of Solomon, and one of those is in Song of Solomon chapter 1, verse 12. So there's a very rare word for nard. It only appears in Song of Solomon, and it appears in our target passage, and of course in John chapter 12, verse 3. The New American Standard Version translates the Hebrew in Song of Solomon chapter 1, verse 12 as simply perfume, but it's Septuagint that translates it more specifically as narthos, the word for nard. The second connection between Song of Solomon chapter 1 and John chapter 12 is that the fragrance of the perfume has filled the house in which Jesus was residing. And the Greek word for fragrance is osmi. And this word appears three times in the context of Song of Solomon chapter 1. In the Septuagint, it appears in chapter 1, verse 3, chapter 1, verse 4, and in our present passage, chapter 1, verse 12. That same word also appears in John chapter 12, verse 3, suggesting a deliberate connection. The third connection is that the details of the encounter between Jesus and Mary are remarkably similar to what we see in Song of Solomon, chapter 1, verse 12. We have a king who is on the couch. There is a woman who's involved, and she has nard, and there is a fragrance that can be smelt. Furthermore, both passages assume the same posture for the king. Specifically, the king is reclining. The Septuagint of Song chapter 1, verse 12 indicates that the king is on his couch. And earlier in our John passage, in John chapter 12, verse 2, it indicates that Lazarus is one of those who's reclining with Jesus, meaning that Jesus, too, is reclining on the couch. And the couch 
acts as the seating area for the table in which they are having their meal. The fourth point of connection is pretty important because it demonstrates that the king is a royal bridegroom. In Song of Solomon chapter 1, particularly the first four verses, it indicates that the king has brought his bride into his chambers. And this indicates that the king is the groom. He is the bridegroom. And the Johannine Jesus, as we've already pointed out, is directly called the bridegroom by John the Baptist in John chapters 2 through 4, but specifically in John 3:29. So all those connections suggest that the author of the Gospel, John, has portrayed the interaction between Jesus and Mary in John chapter 12, deliberately after Song of Solomon chapter 1, but specifically chapter 1, verse 12. There are too many connections for that to be a coincidence. Our third point of connection between Song of Solomon and the New Testament is dealing with the interaction between the resurrected Jesus and Mary Magdalene in John chapter 20, which seems to have been influenced by Song of Solomon chapter 3. So let's read the encounter of Mary Magdalene with the resurrected Jesus in John 20, starting in verse 1. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb while it was still dark and saw the stone already taken away from the tomb. So she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. That's the first two verses. But she reappears after Peter and the beloved disciple enter the tomb and have their interactions with the empty tomb. So she picks back up in verse 10 of John 20. So the disciples went away again to their own homes, but Mary was standing outside the tomb, weeping. And so as she wept, she stooped and looked into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white, sitting, one at the head and one at the feet, where the body of Jesus had been lying. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, and did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my Father and your Father and my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came, announcing to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. That's John chapter 20, verses 10 through 18. So we have the interaction of Mary Magdalene with the empty tomb and the resurrected Jesus, and it appears that there are several points of connection between this passage 
and Song of Solomon chapter 3, specifically chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. Let me reread that passage to get it clear in our minds, because it's only four verses. It won't take too long. So Song of Solomon chapter 3, verse 1 says, On my bed, night after night, I sought him whom my soul loves. I sought him, but did not find him. I must arise now and go about the city and the streets and in the squares. I must seek him whom my soul loves. I sought him, but did not find him. The watchman who made the rounds in the city found me, and I said, Have you seen him whom my soul loves? Scarcely had I left them when I found him whom my soul loves. I held on to him and would not let him go. So I think there are some very deliberate points of connection between these passages. My first proposed point of connection is that Song of Solomon, chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, has a woman searching for her beloved. She specifically says, I sought him, but did not find him. And then Mary tells Peter in John chapter 20, she tells Peter and the beloved disciple that they have taken Jesus away and we do not know where he is. So both Song chapter 3 and John chapter 20 feature the woman who is searching. Second connection. Song chapter 3 verses 1 through 4 indicates that the woman sought her beloved at night while it was dark. John chapter 20 indicates that Mary arrived at the tomb early in the morning while it was still dark. So both passages have a shared nocturnal setting. Point number three. Both Song chapter 3 and John chapter 20 feature the missing man. That much is quite clear. Point number four. In Song chapter 3 verse 3, the woman who is searching encounters these watchmen, which is a peaceable third party with whom the woman shares her plight. In John 20, verses 12 through 13, the passage indicates that Mary had encountered two angels who listened to her complaint. Point number five. Both passages indicate a rather sudden discovery of the man by the searching woman. Song chapter 3, verse 4 says, quote, Scarcely had I left them when I found him whom my soul loves. End quote. In a similar fashion, John 20, verse 14, notes the peculiar detail that she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. Both passages indicate that the woman finds the man in a rather sudden way. Connection number six. The holding tight of the newly found man by the searching woman is a shared feature between Song chapter 3 and John chapter 20. So the woman says in Song 3 verse 4, quote, I held on to him and I would not let him go, end quote. John 20, 17 notes Jesus telling Mary to stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father, end quote. Jesus' remark to Mary here in John 20 verse 17 has puzzled interpreters and commentators for years. They didn't understand why Jesus would be saying this to her, and they've given lots of reasons to try to explain this odd sort of language and behavior. However, the many parallels between Song of Solomon chapter 3 and John chapter 20 allows for Jesus' words to finally make sense. 
The portrayal of Jesus and Mary in John chapter 3 has been deliberately influenced by Song of Solomon chapter 3. So I think that is a bunch of evidence that indicates to me persuasively that the New Testament authors and even the historical Jesus were influenced by the portrayal of the royal bridegroom in the book Song of Solomon, particularly in chapters 1 through 3. And I think the benefit that this brings to New Testament Christology is that it suggests that Jesus' claim to be the groom, the bridegroom, is not a claim to be the groom that Yahweh is as the creator of the covenant in the Old Testament, but rather Jesus claiming to be the groom, the human royal king from Song of Solomon, who is quite a distinct figure from Yahweh as the groom, the creator of the covenant. So thanks for listening to this week's episode. Join us next week as we move out of the book Song of Solomon into the prophet Isaiah to see how his many oracles helped shape messianic expectations. Please look forward to our next episode. If you enjoy our podcast, please consider supporting us as we aim to promote the sound truths about the oneness and unity of God and about the humanity of Jesus. You can support us for absolutely free by subscribing on YouTube and iTunes, by giving us an honest review online, and by sharing your favorite episode with your friends. If you'd like to offer a donation to help support the podcast, you can check out the episode description for a link to PayPal. The Biblical Unitarian Podcast is produced and edited by Dustin Williams. I am Dustin Smith, your host. Until next time, please take care.